You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. I can always come back to this one, and I can count on it. This has been just an ultra-reliable rifle. It's not, it doesn't shoot the smallest groups in the world, but it's very consistent and predictable, okay? When our son Pat became old enough to hunt, I let him use this rifle, and he's done well with it. As far as I know, and my parents can correct me on this if need be, but this rifle was an extravagant gift. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, costing more than the usual gifts that we would expect under the tree at, at Christmas. And so that's, that's one I remember from way back when. In Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, Paul writes about another extravagant gift. From Romans 1.18 up through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has built an ironclad case for the fact that no one is righteous in the light of God's law, the law that is written on our hearts, God's laws revealed in the Old Testament, and God's requirements for holy living revealed in the New Testament. There is none righteous, not even one, we read last week in Romans 3.10. As such, all stand condemned before God because of their sin, deserving of eternal condemnation and separation from God. And then God stepped in with the extravagant gift of justification. As we look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31 this morning, we're going to kind of explore this extravagant gift, the gift of God's justification. And we'll start in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, from Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. In the light of the full body of God's law, not one of us can claim a righteousness of our own because we have failed in some way. Now, truthfully, we've failed in many ways, but one failure is enough to make us permanently unrighteous before God, at least as far as it depends on us. So what hope can there possibly be for us to escape eternal condemnation? Well... The good news is that though our righteousness has failed, God's righteousness is perfectly intact, and God has made it known to us. Romans 1, 16 and 17 already told us how God made his righteousness known to us. It is through the events of the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that God made his righteousness known. The entire Old Testament pointed the way to these events, most specifically and graphically foretold in Isaiah chapter 53, but there are numerous other scriptures referring to them as well. Well, how is this important to us, that God's righteousness has been manifested? Well, God's righteousness is not just an attribute of his character or nature, 
God's righteousness, as revealed through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has provided the means of our justification, which we will talk about a little bit later, because there's a lot of theological terms here in this passage that we have to talk about. And justification is one of those, and we're going to get to that, what that means. Right now, though, we're talking about the righteousness of God. Now, if God's righteousness were something that applied only to him, it would not change the fact that we stand before him condemned by our own sin. But God has made a way for us to receive his righteousness. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ, both in who he is as the Son of God and Savior of all, and in what he has done for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And we will talk about that a little bit later as well. Without that faith in Jesus, we cannot receive God's righteousness. And since we do not have a righteousness of our own, we would remain eternally condemned. In verses 22 and 23, Paul mentions three things that tell that God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ is available to everyone. In verse 23, he tells why everyone needs it. Namely, that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. In verse 22, Paul says that God's righteousness is available to all who believe. Now, believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is a choice. And as many as will choose to believe in him will receive God's righteousness. Also in verse 22, Paul says that there is no distinction. This is something he's talked about in the first three chapters up to this point. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 explains it further. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no distinction. And Paul has more to say about this later in verses 29 and 30 when we get there. Let's go on to verse 24. This is about God's gift of justification. And so the question is raised, how are we justified? And I, I broke this down the way that I did, but it's in the middle of a sentence in my translation. Verse 24 picks up this way. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now before we can talk about how we are justified, 
we need to talk about what justification is. Justification is closely related to righteousness. To justify means to declare to be righteous. Justification is a legal term that indicates that one is in a right standing with the law. Another way of saying that would be that the person who is justified has satisfactorily met, by some means, the requirements of the law. As an example, if a person were guilty of an offense that was punishable by a $10,000 fine, that person would owe the court $10,000 and would not be in a right standing with the law until that fine were paid. If someone else stepped in at that point and paid the entire fine, the guilty party would be justified even though he didn't pay the fine himself. He wouldn't be not guilty, but he would be in a right standing with the law. The law, the, the requirements of the law would have been satisfied at that point, and he would be justified. Now, our sin, which is the violation of any portion of the entire body of God's law, causes us, that I should say the relevant portions that apply to us, but anyway, causes us to owe a debt to God that we could never pay. That's our sin. In our sin, we stand guilty before God with no means to make ourselves right with him. It's like a fine that we can't afford to pay. So God exercised his grace, his undeserved favor, and paid our debt to him through his son, Jesus, as Jesus took the penalty for our sin upon himself when he was crucified. How many of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Okay, all right. Now, the movie graphically, and I think mostly accurately, depicts the physical suffering of Jesus during his crucifixion and the events leading up to it. I mean, it's, I watched it one time in the theater. A group of us went and, and watched it. I have not watched it since. I, I find it very difficult to even want to bring myself to watch it again. It was that graphic, but I, I think it was accurate in that presentation of Christ's physical suffering. But as, as horrible as that was, that physical suffering cannot compare to his spiritual suffering as he redeemed us by experiencing the eternal torment and separation from God that he didn't deserve, but that we deserve. And he paid that ransom, that redemption price on our behalf. Because Jesus paid the price of our penalty, God then justifies us as a gift. We don't have to pay the penalty. The penalty has been paid on our behalf by Christ. Now let's talk about gifts for a moment. If someone gives you a gift, truly, honestly, a gift, no strings attached, how much does that gift cost you? Right? Okay. True gift costs you how much? This many, right? This much. That's how much that gift costs you if it's really a gift. Zero. Zilt. Nada. A true gift is free to the recipient. But what about the giver? Of the gift. Now, I'm not talking here about regifting, where you take something that you got, you know, and wrap it back up and hand it off to somebody else. That that might be. We're not talking about that. 
I'm talking about real gifts. Not that those can't be, but anyway. Even those things that are homemade incur the expense of time and or materials. And of course, we give gifts. I showed you my, my rifle here. That was costly. My parents didn't just find that lane in the street, okay? Gifts are free to the recipient, but they're not free to the giver. What did God's gift of justification by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus cost him? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 explain. It says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. Take, pick that back up. It's kind of a, let's go back to the verb. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Jesus' own precious blood paid the price of redemption so God could provide our justification as a gift. It didn't cost us anything. It cost him everything. And let me take just a moment to address a popular idea about justification. How many of you have ever heard the word justified explained as just as if I'd never sinned? You ever heard that? Yeah, I think many of us have heard that. It's catchy. It's easy to, easy to remember, but that's about all that definition has going for it. Justification doesn't gloss over the fact of our sin. It doesn't gloss over the fact of our guilt. Justification depends on the fact of our sin. To bring us into a right standing with his entire body of law, God has to point out first that we are not in a right standing with his entire body of law because of our sin. That has to be right out front. Well, why do you need to be justified? Because you're not in a right standing. Why are you not in a right standing? Because of your sin. We're not going to make this just as if I'd never sinned. We're going to do something about the fact that you have sinned. We could never achieve that right standing, that justification on our own. So God provided a way in which his justice could be satisfied and we could be declared righteous. And that way doesn't depend on our perfect obedience to, the, to his law. It depends on his working and our faith. I prefer to think of the word justified as God's justice satisfied. And I think it's catchy, it's easy to remember, but I think it's a more accurate explanation of justification. In verse 25, we come to a word that you don't run across every day. So there's a lot of terms here we got to look at. Verse 25, there's a word there, propitiation. Now your translation may say something else. It may say sacrifice of atonement. might say mercy seat, I don't know, but mine says propitiation. And the word propitiation seems to convey the meaning best as it means something offered to turn away wrath. Back in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is real. God's wrath has a reason. It has a target, an object, I guess you might say. And so, 
we have to be concerned about that because Paul established that there are none righteous. So we can conclude that God's wrath is directed against all human beings or the unrighteousness of those human beings that, that makes them responsible unless someone else steps in to turn his wrath away. That someone else is Jesus Christ. And in taking the penalty for our sin upon himself, he's satisfied God's justice on our behalf and turned God's wrath away from us and onto himself. Now, my translation says that God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, but the 1984 edition of the New International Version communicates the idea maybe better in saying that God did this to demonstrate his justice. God's justice demanded that our sin be punished. Somebody's going to have to take the punishment. Period. There's sin. It's got to be punished. That's because God is just and his justice demands it. Jesus took that punishment for us. God's justice was satisfied. And God's wrath is turned away from all who have saving faith in Jesus Christ. Something we talked about in Sunday school here this morning. We might ask, well, what about those who lived and died before Jesus came on the scene, before he was born? before he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. How were those people justified? Well, they too were justified as a gift by God's grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. There's no other means. Now, they couldn't place their faith directly in the person and work of Jesus Christ as he hadn't been born yet. His work had not yet been done. But they could place their faith in God's promises of future redemption resulting in justification. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul is going to use Abraham as an outstanding example of this justification by faith. And so that was available even then because God knew Jesus is going to take that penalty and he would be able to justify them on the basis of their faith prior to Christ coming to earth even as we are able to be justified by placing our faith in Jesus today. And that's how it works, okay? There I go, I'm behind again. We also receive justification through faith. It is God's gift, but gifts can be refused. In Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, Jesus told a parable about a man who was having a great feast and he sent his servants out to invite people to come to the feast and one after another made excuses about why he was unable to come to the feast. Well, I just bought some property. I got to go look at it. No, I bought some oxen. I got to go check out my oxen. They rejected the gift that was offered to them. Now, if your family exchanges gifts at Christmas, when the time comes, you may find a present under the tree with your name on it. You might even get so far as to opening it to find out what it is. And though I think it would be terribly rude and inconsiderate, you would still have the option at that point of saying, take this back, I don't want it. Anybody going to do that? Yeah, probably not. God offers the gift of justification to everyone, but each of us must still choose to receive it through faith. And faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. God has done the work involved in our justification. He, it says, is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And that's important. 
none of us can say, look at me, I justified myself because I've kept God's law perfectly. We've all blown that. All we can say is, God in his great love, mercy, and kindness extended his grace toward me by offering me justification as a gift which I receive by believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I can't take any credit for any of that except that I choose to believe. God has done all the work, all the heavy lifting, we say. All right, let's go on to verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. As we have already seen in our study of Romans in Paul's day, Many of the Jews viewed their standing with God as being inherently superior to that of the Gentiles because of the Jews' distinctive relationship with God throughout the Old Testament, beginning with Abraham and focusing especially on the law of Moses and the tabernacle system of worship. As the Jews saw it in those Old Testament times, Almighty God Yahweh was the God of the Jews exclusively. The Gentiles, they had their own. They worshipped false gods such as Baal and Chemosh and Molech, but unless a Gentile converted to Judaism, Almighty God Yahweh was not his God. Now Paul makes it clear here that Almighty God Yahweh is the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles, which I think is why he said back in verse 22 that there is no distinction. And we read from Galatians 3 where it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. All are one in Christ. God is is the God of all, whether they acknowledge him or not. Because all belong to the same God, justification is the same for all. There isn't one means of justification for Jews and a different means for Gentiles. How are Jews, how are Jews justified? By faith. How are Gentiles justified? By faith. How am I justified? By faith. How are you justified? By faith. And now in the church age, which started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and will continue until the second coming of Christ, being justified by faith specifically means receiving God's gift of justification by believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the one who saves us from our sin because of his death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection on the third day. Now there's more, God requires that our response of faith be accompanied by repentance from sin. He requires that we confess our faith to others. He's told us to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. But all this comes under the umbrella of justification by faith. None of those things are work. God's still the one doing the work in all of that. And justification by faith is the same for everyone. Go on to verse 31. Going to get there, maybe. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. 
Now, since Paul has maintained that we are justified as the gift of God through faith in Christ, we might ask the question, well, then what does that do to the body of God's law? Is the law nullified because we are justified through faith? We don't, I mean, we, we, we failed the law, and so now that we're justified through faith, can't we just ignore the law? Well, it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable question. It's one that may have particular relevance to certain Christians today. Paul has already stated quite convincingly that none of us have been obedient to the entire body of God's law. Okay? We all messed it up. And since we have justification through faith in Christ, some think maybe that we can just forget about all of what God has instructed us otherwise and just do as we please. We've received forgiveness. We've received justification. We're okay with God. We're right with the law. So now we don't have to worry about the law anymore. And there are some Christians today who believe that we should and can do that, that we can just live as we please. These are those who use their freedom in Christ as a license to sin. Paul mentions this in Galatians 5.13. Peter writes about it in 1 Peter 2.16. And both of them are warning against that attitude. Do not use your liberty in Christ as an opportunity for sin, Paul writes. That's not what it's for. It's not so that we can just ignore the law. To answer the question, to answer the question of can we just ignore the law, Paul first uses the emphatic, may it never be, or by no means, or not at all, or if you're in King James, God forbid. Paul says that faith establishes the law. We have to do a little more thinking about this to get the full meaning. The law is useless to provide justification because all have sinned. So God provides justification as a gift by his grace on the basis of faith. But law still has a purpose. And that purpose is to guide us in the right way to live as we relate to God. Faith establishes the law in that through faith we accept God's terms for salvation and therefore we accept God's terms for everything else including how we ought to live. You think about the areas of God's law we talked about. The law written in our hearts. That applies to all people of all time. In our faith, we submit to God's authority and say that we will obey God's law, which is written in our hearts. It's, it's, part, of our, it's part of our agreement when we accept that justification as a gift through faith. For the Jews of the Old Testament times, up until the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, the Mosaic law applied to them. And there are a lot of ceremonial things there and things that they were required to observe that no longer apply. But for them, they had the law that was written on their hearts and they had the law of Moses under which they, they uh, lived and, and through which they interacted with God. In the church age, in addition to the law written on our hearts, the law that is binding on us is the New Testament enumeration of the requirements for holy living. Christians are described as the holy ones or the saints. And in our faith, we submit to God's authority and we say that we will obey the New Testament teachings for holy living as well as the law written in our hearts. Faith establishes 
God's law. We don't obey God's law as a means of salvation, but we do obey God's law in order to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Peter 3.18, and to fulfill God's command to be holy as he is holy, which we find in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, as well as elsewhere. Faith doesn't nullify God's law. Faith establishes God's law. If any of us had kept all of God's law perfectly, then we would have a righteousness of our own based on the law. But all of us have failed in that. So God, in his love, grace, mercy, and kindness, made his righteousness available to us, to everyone, on the basis of faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God gave us a gift of justification, declaring us to be righteous and in a right standing with the law because Jesus paid the price for our redemption on the cross. Rather than forcing each one of us to endure the wrath of God, even though we deserve it, Jesus offered himself in our place, turning God's wrath away from us and on to himself. We receive this gift of justification by faith and not by works. God is the one who justifies and then offers us that justification as a gift. This offer of justification is not exclusive to any particular ethnic group, social caste, or gender. And when I say gender, I'm talking about the only two that there are, okay? Yeah, male and female. God is the God of all, and all may receive God's gift of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. And even though we are not saved on the basis of obedience to God's law, God's law is still vital to us in that it informs us of God's intent for the holy lives he desires for us to live. When we accept his justification through faith in Christ, we commit to living according to his law in order to mature in Christ and in order to be holy people, even as Almighty God is a holy God. When I opened my presents that Christmas morning in 1976, and I opened the box containing this rifle, uh, it's safe to say I was ecstatic. That's more than just a little bit happy for those of you guys not translating it. Yeah, yeah. Seeing this in that box, having my parents give this to me, it meant many different things to me, and all of them were good. It meant I was going to get to go hunting that fall, not just as somebody tagging along, but as an actual hunter, okay? It meant that my parents believed that I was able to, that I was ready to handle the responsibility of owning and using a rifle, at least under their oversight, which meant that I was growing up and I was maturing in their eyes. It also meant that I was going to have to take care of it so that it would last for a long time. It, it pleases me greatly that I am able to pass this, this rifle along to one of my children. And perhaps, someday, he will pass it along to one of his. I don't know. Do you ever think it even crossed my mind to tell my parents, well, thanks, I don't really want this, you keep it. That even crossed my mind? Not even for a millisecond. 
No, not even for a, not even for a millisecond. God offers all of you the gift of justification through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. This means many different things for you, all of them good. It means that even though you failed in keeping God's law, God has still provided a way for you to be declared righteous, not on your own, but he provides the way. It means that even though you deserve eternal suffering and eternal separation from God, Jesus took those things upon himself, turning God's wrath away from you in order that you wouldn't have to experience those terrible things yourself. It means that you can have your sins forgiven and you get to enjoy eternal life with God in heaven. And so the question I would ask is, why would it ever even cross your mind to tell God, thanks, but I don't really want this. You keep it. If you'd like to receive God's gift of justification through faith in Jesus Christ today, repenting of your sin, confessing your faith, and being baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sin, please come forward as we stand and sing our invitation song.